Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome to the return of the Engadget podcast. We've been on hiatus for a little while, particularly with our regular host, Terrence O'Brien, out on a long paternity leave. But we are back for five special episodes this September, running each Friday, and we are sponsored by Verizon Wireless. Now, full disclosure, as many of you know, Verizon is our parent company, but we've always enjoyed full editorial independence. Um, They never tell us what to write, uh, what to print, and they had no input into the contents, the nonsense of this podcast right here. The contents and the nonsense. You've got it in one right there. That voice you hear right there is senior mobile editor Chris Velasco based in New York with me. Hello. Hey. Hi. How's it going? Good. It's good to be back. It is. It's weird to be looking at you while talking into a microphone. There's like a certain cognitive dissonance there that I've never really been able to wrap my head around. Um, Yeah. It's like we're um, playing dress up as um, broadcast journalists, except we kind of are today. I, I'm glad to finally put on the broadcaster hat. I, I told you this a little while ago. I always wanted to be a public radio journalist growing up just because, I don't know, like the radio to this day remains like one of the most magical inventions in the world to me. Just being able to sit in front of a box and like hear someone telling you a story is just, I don't know, beautiful in a way that smartphones and TVs and drones just never really were for me. So... Well, hopefully your inner child will be satisfied with us bringing people the magic of our um, ramblings about tech goings on. There have been quite a few, week. as yes. a matter of fact. This has been a fairly busy week. Mm-hmm. Big tech show going on across the pond. For those unaware, IFA is happening in Berlin as we speak. Kana, do you know what IFA stands for? I do not. I was re- I, That was not meant to, to <laughs> surprise you. <laughs> I was just really hoping you would be able to say some German words for us right now. You know, I well, I don't want to sidetrack too much, but the uh, one of the few phrases I still know how to say in German is actually eggplant parmesan. <laughs> Wait a second. Do you know how to say it in German? I don't, You're not going to forget once I, can, I tell you. I can't say eggplant parmesan in anything aside from English. But but really quickly, what were the circumstances in which you had to say this and commit it to memory? Well, I ordered it, and it turns out the phrase is Aubergine Auflauf. Aubergine Auflauf. Yeah, yes. this is very good. You will I like not forget. This, I like this very much. Yes. But uh, we have a decent-sized team in IFA right now in Berlin enjoying the sights and enjoying all the technology. And I think what's really interesting to kind of see, among other things, because there has been a lot going on at the show, is Google Assistant in particular is getting a lot of attention. It's been in smartphones mostly so far. It's been in the Google Home. But it is, I mean, I guess it's probably fair to say Google Assistant has made some friends. Yeah, it's it's funny reading the news coming out of Eva. There is sort of this Groundhog Day element to it where 
the pieces of news are technically discrete, but all some of the pieces of news sound a little bit, bit the same, and that's just because Google Assistant is showing up in freaking everything. Alexa, too, still, too, just to a certain extent. Which, yes, that's correct, but I feel like Alexa's, I don't know, her, like, watershed moment has sort of passed, like... What's happening? What so? What it feels like to me is what's happening in Efa right now with Google Assistant is basically what happened to Alexa at like this past CES and this past Mobile World Congress. Like it was everywhere. Hmm. Um. I think probably the biggest name for the show being that Sony speaker that came out. Which, by the way, uh, Sherlyn, our colleague Sherlyn, posted her hands on today. And I don't know if you've had a chance to really dive in yet, but even if you've seen photos, this Sony smart speaker looks. A lot like it's some, a HomePod. Yeah, it's a HomePod. Oh yeah. Except, okay, so it does. It doesn't. It does have a few things going for it that the HomePod does not. It does have this little fun gesture that you sort of like wiggle your finger above it to change the volume, which does not appear to work that well, but should hopefully when this thing eventually launches. But yeah, like the the. So you and I both saw the HomePod in San Francisco after uh, I think WWDC. it was at WWDC. And yeah, the the similarities, at least visually, are striking. They are, yes. I wonder if that feeds into so Apple has always been very adamant about the fact that the HomePod isn't just a smart speaker. It's it's a speaker. It's mostly a speaker that also does fun smart things with Siri. And I, I haven't dug into the Sony report all that much, but Sony is a brand that's always been fairly solid with regard to its audio. I wouldn't be surprised if they had the same sort of mindset. Let's build a product that works very well as a speaker, as a music and audio machine, and then just sort of layer something like Google Assistant on top of that. And Google Assistant so far seems like a good choice, um, particularly compared to Siri. Um, we've had we've tested all the virtual assistants. In fact, Engadget recently did this special week of coverage where we did test all of the different AI assistants. And Sherlyn, who actually did spend a week with both Google Assistant and Siri came away with the conclusion that she preferred Google Assistant for home use. And that was back when really Google Home was the only Google powered smart speaker. Um, so for people like her who were on the, you know, of the same mind that Google is really superior when it comes to smart home stuff and as a home assistant, um, maybe Sony is the next level in terms of both exterior design and sound quality. I. I often struggle to sort of understand Sony, mostly because I deal with them primarily on the mobile level. And on that front, they they just don't do a good job. Like, they have not built a device, frankly, in years, that has sort of captivated people the way the Sony brand once did. They've never really done that brand justice with their phones. But audio-visual products that live in your home and are meant to stay in your home, they've still got it. They've, they've. I, I will grant that they still have the design chops. I, they definitely still know how to make audio equipment as well. I just, it's, it's difficult for me to kind of look at Sony and just take it seriously now. Like they've got a division that should be a huge money maker and just isn't, and they can't figure out how. So I, I part of me has this sort of instinctual distrust of them. Like I don't trust them to do kind of any of that stuff right now, which. Sounds a little sad, honestly. Like I'm, I'm not trying to be especially mean to Sony, but like, what, what? Come on, guys. Like, really? I don't know. It's, I, I do like the fact that we are seeing uh, Google Assistant pop up in devices that aren't made by major manufacturers. So Anker, who is probably best known for its various mobile accessories, yeah, for like USB cables and power adapters and power banks, apparently has quite a good one as well, and that is very exciting. Anker is a company that I've I've worked with a lot 
insofar as I need cables all of the time, so I just kind of buy theirs. And they're an example of a company to me that does something very specifically and does that thing very well. So I, I, I almost think I would prefer an Anker Google Assistant speaker than a Sony one at this point. To each his own, I guess. So to your point earlier, uh, it's not just about Google Assistant, right? So Alexa has made some inroads at IFA as well, maybe most notably in a smartphone. The Moto X4, the latest generation Moto X, which bear in mind, guys, we have not seen in two years, is back. It's a mid-range phone. You can't customize it. It has a dual camera. It's not the Moto X that you know and love, but it does have Alexa, which, sure, okay, great. Like, we totally needed that, right? Um, you've tested some Alexa-powered phones already. I, I have tested, I think, all of the Alexa-powered phones. There, there are only three, including the Moto X4 now. So there's the Huawei Mate 9, which was the first and arguably the worst because you had to launch an application and then speak to it. Like, you couldn't just interact with it the way that you could with an Echo. The HTC U11... I mean, so bear in mind, I have not played with the Moto X4. I do really like the U11 as a smartphone packaged through and through, but it was also the first device that kind of did Alexa right. The Alexa HTC app that sort of ran on the phone was really generally good at noticing when you were saying Alexa and kind of getting its attention. It did have a couple quirks, which I think are probably pretty easily ironed out in software updates, but I mean, who knows? We'll see. Uh, but Motorola is the one that has kind of signaled their intent from the beginning. So at Mobile World Congress this year, they basically dedicated like a third of their press conference to talking about how they were going to build Alexa into smartphones and to Moto mods. And I'm surprised Alexa didn't wind up in a mod first, but here we are. Well, and you know what's funny to me is that we always praise Moto phones for their really light touch when it comes to Android. Um, but it's funny that in this regard, Moto seems to be preferring Alexa to the Google Assistant. So uh, my understanding is that you will be able to use both. And, and that's, that's the thing about Motorola right now. Take a look at a device like the Moto Z2 Force, which has realistically three virtual assistants. You have Google Assistant. You have – so take the U11, for example. Uh, you've got Alexa. You've got Google Assistant. And you have HTC Sense Assistant, which isn't a thing that you talk to. It just sort of bubbles up notifications it thinks you'll want based off of what it knows about you and your behavior. But that's a prime example of where the industry seems to be going, right? One virtual assistant isn't really enough in a phone anymore. It's about the choice. It's about seeing how they interoperate. And I think that's really nicely sort of illustrated by the fact that Microsoft is now kind of working with Amazon to get Alexa and Cortana kind of working together a little better as well. Right. That was another piece of big news this week. I'm not sure if it was specifically timed with IFA or not, probably. Um, but there is this news that Alexa and Cortana are going to interoper interoperate and take advantage of each other's different skill sets. No pun intended. Yeah. I mean, this this will work if only because you've got like the engineering departments for two enormous companies like devoting some degree of effort to it. But the path to getting there is going to suck. Didn't the New York Times, which which I think broke the story, didn't they report that the two CEOs, the two companies were working together for something like two years on this? Yes, I believe that is correct. And it just speaks to the level of difficulty that comes with taking 
a voice interface that one company has designed and figuring out how to make that work, how to get those nuances in place, how to build those bridges between that and a completely different paradigm built by a completely different company. Like on some level, yes, there are technical issues, but I wonder if they were just sort of like issues of thinking that maybe don't line up on either end that require a lot of time and effort to sort of bridge. What I've been thinking about as, as I've sort of been digesting that story is what each company gets out of it. I think it's clear what Amazon gets out of it because Microsoft has some proprietary software that people still use a lot, right? Outlook um, and its associated mail pro you know, programs and, and calendaring. And um, so it makes sense that Cortana is better at those things. And it makes sense that Amazon would want to somehow get in on that, right? Um, I think a little harder about um, what Microsoft gets out of the deal. I suppose that Alexa is a little further ahead in terms of how many skills it has. I think, too, about how easy or hard it would have been for those developers to redevelop for another platform. Um, I guess it's a pain, right? But then um, Cortana isn't... It's nothing to sneeze at, right? Yeah, I've been trying to wrap my head around that as well. Cortana has... She's been around for a while. She's existed on a, a lot of different classes of devices. You can work with her on desktop or on mobile or to an extent on the Xbox. But I don't know. Like, my interpretation of her is that she's always been kind of an also-ran. Like, she works, but Microsoft stands to gain so much more because they get access to this breadth of skills, for one. And just... Just the fact that people know and seem to generally tolerate and enjoy using Alexa, whereas Cortana, I mean, you're you deal with Windows more than I do. It, it's kind of always felt like a non-starter. Like it's there and it's nice, but well, that's the the weird thing to me about Cortana is that it, it's already on so many devices, whether or not people take advantage of it, and so both the breadth of devices and the influence of Microsoft, its maker, make it. I think inherently a big player but no it is not a google assistant or an alexa or a siri it is more than a bixby but we don't need to talk about bixby today i do like bixby i am a fan but but yes i think we could probably move on from samsung's less than stellar attempt at this space mm -hmm. i don't cortana she when when she works she works very well and I, I absolutely grant microsoft credit for that but i think you've hit on something very important when you say cortana is on millions of devices but people in my experience generally don't seem to use it like they'll use windows search and sort of get their stuff done but beyond that like the the appeal of talking to a computer like your actual computer doesn't seem to have exploded in the way either microsoft or apple seems to like i have a 2016 macbook pro with siri and i don't talk to siri ever and when she does come up accidentally i hate her a little bit more each time Right. I, I don't use it much on the desktop, but part of it, I think, is that Siri is just not that smart. And um, I think that'll have implications for when the HomePod comes out. I think Apple, for it to succeed, Apple will have had, have had to really sharply improved Siri. Well, so let me ask you, have, you, have you used any of the iOS 11 beta stuff so far? So she has gotten a fairly big update, which regular consumers will be able to play with in, in like a couple weeks, realistically. But... My experience with Siri has has been for years now. Oh, cool! I can ask you to do things. Ha ha ha! This is really funny. And then just like not touch her for three or four years. And now that she has gotten a pretty significant upgrade in iOS 11, even in its sort of unfinished stage now, 
I'm slowly starting to turn the corner. I don't use her for everything. I don't use her for nearly as much as I use Alexa for, but I get the impression now that she's much, much less dumb than she used to be. Well, that is, is faint praise for your for uh, this this budding relationship that you have. Yes, I mean that's certainly true. But I also I will be the first to admit that I have a bizarre, affectionate, slightly paternalistic relationship with Alexa. Like Alexa, she's like my my girl, my home girl. Like I, I I rely on her for a lot. And we actually I don't know if you saw this, but we got a really good comment on at least my Alexa AI Week piece in which someone sort of questioned my willingness to kind of give up all of this information about myself in exchange for convenience. And that's, that's, that's a question for like the, that, that encaps- encapsulates the issue of living in the modern age, right? Like how much of your soul are you willing to sell for your life to be just a couple degrees more convenient? Man, we could do a whole other podcast just on that, I think. Yeah, I think we should move on to some other big news. But first... It's that time of year again. The iPhone you've really, really been waiting for is now available on the nation's largest, most reliable 4G LTE network. Head over to your nearest Verizon wireless store or order online today. Okay, and we're back. This is the Engadget Podcast. I'm Chris Velasco. And I'm Dana Wolman. And right now we're going to move on to talk about something a little more, to me, exhilarating. A little more googly well we, it's funny i we were just talking about google so basically guys spoiler we're going to be talking about google again yeah so <laughs> yeah so news about google's ar core broke this week and if you're unfamiliar it's basically google's answer to apple's ar kit which is a software development kit slash library that allows developers to build augmented reality apps reasonably speaking without a whole lot of trouble it's much easier now than it ever was before i think it's fair to say I think this is one case where competition clearly um, drives innovation, and I hate myself for using such a tired phrase, right? But it's true here. I think that when ARKit was first announced, everyone sat back and said, holy crap, you know, Google and Tango, the whole Tango team should be worried about this. Because until now, the state of affairs was that um, if there was going to be a Tango phone, a company would need to go out of its way to build a specialized Tango phone complete with um, some specific hardware requirements. Right. So if you've never used a Tango phone before, and I'm sure you haven't, and that's totally okay because no one did either, you have to have basically three cameras. You have uh, an IR sensor on the back. You've got a regular camera and sort of a depth sensor to sort of detect surfaces in front of you, which is cool and fine. And the first phone that ever used all of these devices that was sold to the public was the Lenovo Fab2 Pro, which highlighted the problem that anyone would have building a Tango device. The thing was huge. Like I have one behind me and it's just disgusting. I would never recommend that to anybody. But it's funny because the Zenfone AR, Asus's attempt, the second ever Tango phone was released not that long ago. We reviewed it not too long ago as well pretty big improvement. It's the kind of phone that you could actually maybe see yourself using. But the fact that Engadget has only reviewed two Tango phones, and we've written about Tango over so many times over how many years in different phases of development, and to show for it, we've only reviewed two shipping phones. And that really raises the stakes for Google, because if there are so few phones out there, they better be good. And oftentimes, or at least sometimes, they're not, right? Because they're fallible as, fo- as devices, this, the way any other smartphone can be. Um, 
And a lot of our reviews amounted to, well, if you think Tango is cool, and in parentheses, it needs work, <laughs> then you should buy this phone. But if not, there were always better options out there. And whereas what's happening with the iPhone, the, you know, iPhone line is that um, any, you know, the, basically your phone will support AR out of the box. And it's a question of which apps will be on board. But it's a chicken and egg thing where because it's so simple... And because the barrier for entry is so low for developers and because iOS is so huge, it's going to get the app support. It already has some app support. Yeah. The, uh, there's a couple <clears throat> Twitter accounts out there that sort of devoted to showing off what interesting things people have been able to do with ARKit. And it's frankly very impressive stuff. Like, I got to see some really nascent AR demos with Apple uh, a couple weeks ago. And it's a little embarrassing how much better they were than a lot of the Tango experiences that you could go out into the Play Store and actually buy right now. And that's not a knock against Google, honestly. I swear to God. Google did such amazing work with Tango and just didn't know how to commercialize that. Or maybe more specifically, tried to commercialize it and just no one saw the need for it yet. It's just, it's a, it was always an incredible experiment, but it, that's all that's all it ever was. It was an experiment to get people kind of thinking about this. Do you feel like with the right kind, the right level of app support, Apple will have less of a burden to explain to people why AR is useful? I think Apple will have less of a burden because they, at this point, already have some interesting looking demos. And like, that's it. You don't need to go out and get a different phone. Like your iPhone 7, I think, I think ARKit support starts on like the iPhone 6S. So if you have a phone that was built within the last two years, like you're, you're good. Just try it. That's all you have to do. That's Apple's critical advantage here. With ARCore, it's important to point out, uh, you will be able to use it fairly soon on pretty big name devices, the Galaxy S8 and the existing pixel you can try that and that should be very very good step in the right direction it doesn't quite match the fact that apple owns both its hardware and its software meaning the iphone will by definition be ar compatible out of the box that's still not going to be true of all or even most google phones at least not right now well it should be yeah i mean so ultimately google has said that i think roughly by the end of the year once AR core sort of becomes more widely available and, and sort of baked into the core of Android itself, you'll be able to use it on, quote, hundreds of millions of devices, unquote, which is not nothing. That's pretty impressive. And if they can sort of build, if they can take what they've learned from Tango, which is our understanding of what they've done, they take the sort of foundational stuff from Tango and figure out how to remove the requirements for this additional hardware and just sort of take that thinner level of intelligence and bake that into Android that can be used by any of these devices out there. That's that's frankly huge. Like I could see Apple really, really kind of taking a hit if Google plays this off very well. Have you experienced any AR? Are you an AR person? I've experienced some, for sure. I've been in the room with you as we've gotten some of these demos. Remember that Domino's game we played on um, the first Lenovo AR phone? Yes. And so I, the reason I ask these questions is mostly because I've always been like a little more excited about this stuff, I think, than you. Like I, I'm very enthusiastic when I see it work well, but I think I'm also like doubly crushed when things don't pan out. So Tango, to me, is like one of the beautiful... like. Yeah, 
it's one of those like beautiful little experiments that you want so badly to succeed, but just sort of know deep down that it's never really going to work. Like no one's going to buy into this. Well, clearly you're not alone. I mean, a lot of people have argued that Apple sort of skipped straight to AR um, and didn't really pay as much lip service to VR as many of its competitors. Yeah, but maybe that was the right move. Like realistically speaking, how many people do you know own VR headsets? And I, I ask you this knowing that we share a pretty similar circle of huge nerds in our social lives. Um, outside, outside of my, my work nerds, um, I know some other nerds who are considering buying headsets um, of both varieties, the wired and the unwired kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's not what you would call a mainstream thing. But I don't know if AR is just yet either, other than Pokemon Go, which, by the way, my brother, uh, shout out to Brian if you're listening. Um, Brian still plays Pokemon Go, and I'm guessing other people still do also yes well i mean enough of them played pokemon Go. enough of them showed up to chicago to be sorely disappointed so yes i do think people still actually play this game but i think the beautiful thing about ar as opposed to vr is vr is a full immersion into a world that typically is not your own and requires extra hardware but i'm not even worried about the additional cost or the additional thing you have to wear on your face like it just requires a certain extra level of openness or receptiveness to kind of throw yourself into this alternate world. AR is basically just an extension of the world you already have. It requires nothing. The barriers to entry are basically zilch. And I think because it sort of blends computer vision with with what you see in front of you, the potential to be utilitarian and useful is so much greater there. That's what I've always missed about Tango. There are a couple of applications that purport to do... So, like, measure is a good example. You can point your phone at a wall or a table and get a rough set of measurements. And if that worked perfectly every time, I would tell everyone I know to buy a Tango phone. Like, just just as a tool for your life, this would be incredible. That obviously did not happen. But... The potential is there, and once AR Core becomes more widely used, more widely understood, more widely implemented, I think we're going to start to see those utilitarian tools really kind of shape the way people interact with their devices. And I think that's something VR was never really going to do, at least on the mobile scale. Before we go, before we sign off, um, when do you expect to play with the first AR Kit apps? So, it's interesting you mention that, Dana, because the Apple iPhone launch event is on September 12th. So, that's two Tuesdays from now. Hopefully, it's then. We shall see. I know there are, obviously, ARKit apps in development. Apple has shown some off. There are a couple demos floating around on YouTube and Twitter that are very interesting as well. I don't know that they're necessarily timed for that day, but you can expect the avalanche to start shortly thereafter when iOS goes live. What's funny is I met AR Core when I said that because um, leave it to Google and Apple to pick similar names. Um, <laughs> but uh, ARKit, I think, is a sure thing for um, that September demo day. Right. But um, AR Core. AR Core, I, so here is the thing. I have not met with Google. Some people have. Some people have gotten more of a, a sense into their general sense of strategy, and we know a few things, but one of the big questions right now, for me at least, is how much developer outreach has Google done so far? They've done some demos. Uh, I think the one we've seen floating around the internet most recently was Oz. That's sort of like Wizard of Oz movie. They did like a tie-in that they showed off at Google I.O. this year as well, which was very cool, but not strictly speaking all that new. 
so the interest is there. The developers are there, but I don't know that a lot of developers are there. So I, I think we're going to see a Tango-like situation where we're going to get a very slow trickle at first, and some of them will be useful and some of them will be garbage, but hopefully that ratio kind of corrects itself over time. I think it's going to take a while, though. In the meantime, we'll see if Google has that rumored press event next month in October. Well, I mean, hey, how could it not? It's about that time. It's about pixel time. My pixel's getting old. I don't want this thing anymore. It is pixel. Well, now it's iPhone time, but then it'll be pixel time. God And you're going to be a very tired man. I mean, I'll, I'll be tired but happy. No, that's maybe not true. It's a it roller coaster. you're in the right job. It's a roller coaster with me. Yeah. Okay, and that, I think, is going to be our first comeback episode of the Engadget podcast in the can. If you'd like to reach out to us, I am at Dana Wallman on Twitter. It's my full, my full name with no spaces. And I'm Chris Velasco on Twitter, also my full name, no spaces, because neither of us are particularly creative at internet names. And shout out to Terrence in absentia. He is at Terrence O'Brien, uh, all E's, no A's. That's what he always says. And congrats to Terrence on his new baby. Yes, much deserved mazel tov to our dear friend Terrence. We love you, man. Enjoy your baby time. We, we need you back, but we'll, we'll be okay. Meantime, tune in next week. We'll be back. <laughs>